On July 23, 1967, Detroit was hit by a riot. We said it couldn't happen, but it did, and the nation was shocked. This is a portion of the story of that riot, which left 43 dead, thousands injured, and a city in flames. These films tell a part of that story. About 49 years ago, near this very intersection in Detroit, hatred filled these streets. What started out as a raid quickly became a riot. And this whole neighborhood became a war zone that lasted for five days. 43 people died, hundreds were injured, and over 7,000 were arrested. 5,000 people were left homeless, and nearly 1,400 buildings burned. They called it the 12th Street Riot. And it, the magnitude of its destruction made it the third worst riot in our country's history. Every time you drive into Detroit, and every time you think about the city, I want you to ask yourself this question. What causes neighbors to go to war with one another? What has to happen in a person's heart that they would throw rocks or bottles at somebody they don't know, or that they would loot and steal? You can call it hate or racism. You can call it evil or stupidity. But at the root, it's playing hatred fear and pride I don't like people that are not like me uh, they're weird it's costly I'm too busy she has tattoos uh, they own cats our one of our pastors wears loafers and collared shirts all the time people don't like people that are not like them people that are not like us make us feel uncomfortable I mean it costs time money and energy to care about anybody. You think about it, how many of your neighbors do you even know? I mean, really know. Or how many people within five feet of you right now would Jesus say you love them? Being a neighbor doesn't mean much anymore. And I know what some of you guys would say. I would care, uh, but I don't know enough about them to know what to care about. And that's the problem. We don't know to care because we don't care to know. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. What's up, Metro? How are you guys doing? I can't believe you guys are here and not outside. I just—it is amazing outside. I'm—I'm uh, I'm super glad to be here. My name's Jack. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, last week we started off. We kicked off this great series. And Pastor Jay took us through this like a historical journey of sorts uh, to the earliest followers of Jesus and how they came to believe. And if you're still struggling uh, with whether uh, you believe and you're not sure about this whole church thing, uh, you should go check out that video. Go check out last week's sermon. Uh, I think it would help you a lot. The men and women of the first century of the time of Jesus struggled uh, they doubted, um, they had a hard time believing, but eventually their lives got turned completely upside down, turned around really. Eventually they found God, they loved God, they fell in love with him, and they changed the whole world. They literally changed the whole world. The reason why we're even meeting here tonight is because of what Jesus did back then. And when they saw what Jesus did, and they heard what Jesus said. It changed them forever. 
Uh, last week, we, we landed on one verse of Scripture. Uh, actually, it was only the first part of a single verse. I don't know if you guys remember it. Uh, Pastor Jay was preaching, and somebody asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment? I mean, what's the most important thing to God? What is the greatest commandment to God? And a lawyer asked him, nothing against lawyers, but a lawyer was questioning him, and uh, Jesus said, this is the most important thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God with everything that you are. If you want to know what greatness is, if you want to know what God considers great, love God, know him, and love him. If we want to get life right and do, uh, what do we have to do to get it right? That is the greatest commandment. But Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't end with, love God with everything that you are. He says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 38 through 40, after he gives this command to love God with all that you are, in verse 38 it says this, this is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two command, uh, commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament rests on these two commandments. Jesus combines these two commandments in his one answer. First, you must love, the, love God with everything that you are, your, whole, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which it makes sense if you're loving a God who loved you first. If you're loving a God who sent his son Jesus to die for you, it would make sense that the very first and most important thing would be to love him. And I know some of you guys are thinking, because I've met people like this, they, I hear Jesus died for me and God sent Jesus to die for me, and I don't care. That doesn't mean much to me. Why would Jesus need to die for me? I don't, I don't, that doesn't move my heart. I'm hoping by the end of this it will. But number two and the second commandment is like this. It's connected to it. This, Jesus says it's like it. It's connected to it. Uh, just like one quarter has two sides and it's still one quarter, Jesus doesn't separate these two commands. He, he treats it as his one answer for what the greatest is. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most people would have two questions. They would have two questions for this. Number one, who is my neighbor? which translated means, who do I have to love? And apparently, the guy, the lawyer, who's smart, lawyers are smart, the lawyer asked him this question because in this day, it wasn't assumed that everybody that lived right next to you was your neighbor. So he had to ask, who is my neighbor? And the second question would be, what does it mean to love somebody as myself? I mean, really think about it. Have you ever heard a grandmother or a mother talking to their children or grandchildren, have you ever heard them say, now how much does grandma love you? And then the kids say, like you love yourself, grandma. That's how much. It's so much, like you love you. Like you've never, I've never heard anybody go that route. I've never heard somebody say that. Uh, but it's a good question if you think about it. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And then um, I also know that there's some people in here where you would say, and you're not gonna raise your hand, 
But you would say, if you were to be honest, you'd say, I don't really love myself. So what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself if I don't even really love myself? I mean, am I supposed to not love them very much? Like, I don't love me very much? I mean, that doesn't make much sense. So those are great questions. And the wonderful part is the Bible records a separate story where another lawyer, and lawyers are cool, but another lawyer asked Jesus the first question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus ended up answering all of these questions in his story. And so let's look at it. It's in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. Hopefully it's going to come up there on the screen. Starting in verse 29 of Luke chapter 10, but he, that's the lawyer, and lawyers are cool, but he, and I don't ever want to get sued ever, no, I'm just kidding. but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? To be fair, lawyers and religious leaders question Jesus all the time. They, they ask him controversial questions to divide the crowd and to provide some haters for Jesus. That's what it means by they wanted to test Jesus when you read that in the New Testament. They're trying to trick him up. They want the crowd to, to hate him. But I don't think that this was uh, the same case for this lawyer. When the lawyer heard this great command, the second one, and the second is like it, when he heard this from Jesus, he had a personal question. It, it was no longer, he wasn't trying to trick Jesus. He heard this amazing command to love your neighbor as yourself, and he had a personal question. He wanted to know who. Who is my neighbor? In other words, who do I have to love? Now, before we trash talk this inquisitive lawyer, and I would, don't do that. Now, before we trash talk this inquisitive lawyer, I think we all need to do a little bit of soul searching, okay? So I know that a lot of you may not be racist, may not even be grumpy. You may be very kind. But I know there's somebody in your life that gives you a hard time. I mean, I, I know some of you, you, you have that one family member, and you know who I'm talking about. You got that one, or you got that ridiculous person at work, or how about the addict on the side of the road that uh, constantly is asking you for money that you're desperately trying to avoid eye contact? I don't know if I'm the only one that does that. It's like, whenever they like come around, it's like, okay, now they're there. Now they're there, okay, now they're there. Like, I just completely avoid eye contact. So I don't know if that's them. Uh, it's at least some of those people after we get out of church that drive through the Home Depot parking lot and go all the way to the end where Hooters is and they skip like 10 cars and we're all trying to get out of here, right? It could be them. It could be them. It could be them. No, no, don't, please don't clap for that. I'm gonna get so much over that. No, no, it doesn't need to be that. Or hey, seriously, seriously, you may be racist. You might be. Racism isn't a thing that people made up. That's a real thing. Maybe you judge people based on how they look or the color of their skin or maybe because they're Canadian. I don't know. But you judge people. You judge people that you don't know. Maybe you do treat people differently before you even get to know them. And if none of those are you, 
maybe you just lack love. And it would be hard for you to admit it right now, right here, but I pray that God would be speaking to your hearts and, and he would be revealing whatever it is. Maybe you do lack love. And, devi- and desiring to justify yourself in the way that you lack care and compassion and love, you would say, I just don't have the time. I just don't have the money. I'm busy. And just like this lawyer desiring to justify yourself, you'd make up excuses. This lawyer was definitely in the wrong, and he needed Jesus to set him straight, but maybe we do too. So let's look at what Jesus said. Are you guys ready? I hope you guys are ready. Let's look at verse 30. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, for some of you guys that aren't used to church language and all that, now imagine a guy was walking down West Warren Avenue, and uh, he got robbed, and they stole his shoes and his clothes, and they beat him half to death. Uh, that's this guy. And verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on by. I want you to remember this. He saw him, and he passed on by. Now, you don't have to do sign language, but, you know, you get the idea. He saw him, and he passed on by. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, most of you guys could imagine who a priest is. Back in this day, a priest was a religious leader who represented God, and he also performed some religious activities for the people. And a Levite was a special kind of priest that came from the bloodline of Aaron, Abraham's uh, brother, Abraham, the famous Abraham. And they were two people who were supposed to know God and represent him very well. And these two guys in the story did two things. They saw a man who needed help, and they passed him by. They knew his condition, and they ignored it. They saw his need, and they avoided it. When they saw this needy man who was robbed and beaten half to death, they walked on the other side of the road, and they didn't want to get involved. Some people would say they just minded their own business. They didn't get their hands dirty. It was just another day for them, and they had things to do. When they saw the guy, they passed on by. There was no compassion out of these two guys. And when there's no compassion, there's no way there's going to be any love. There's no room for love. There's no possibility. There's no open door for love when there's no compassion. But a third man walks by. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, that may sound sticky and messy to a lot of you guys, uh, but this oil and wine thing, just imagine he's opening up a costly first aid kit, and he's trying to help the guy out. And the fact that the guy guy who was helping was a Samaritan also is key to the story. See, Samaritans and Jews didn't mix well together. As a matter of fact, they were enemies to each other. At this point in the story, there had already been 700 years of racism and fighting between the Jews and Samaritans. A Samaritan was half Jewish and half Gentile. 
They treated, him, they treated them like half-breeds. Neither side accepted them. I don't know if you've ever seen like a vampire werewolf story where eventually, I don't know why, a vampire person has to fall in love with a werewolf person, then they have a baby and everybody loses their mind and then they go to war with each other. That, that is basically this story 700 years old. So Samaritans and Jews did not mix. Racism, hatred, I hate you, you hate me, I might hate you because you hate me, however it went down, they were enemies. Now look back at verse 34. Then he, talking about the Samaritan, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii. I know all of us have some of that in our pockets. That's like two days' wages, by the way. Two, a, denari, a denarius is like one day's wage. And he gave them to the innkeeper, who's like a hotel manager, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, and this is what's crazy, this racist guy would not even say the word Samaritan. He wouldn't even call him what Jesus called him in the story. Almost like he was gritting his teeth. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So Jesus sets up this story because this guy asks, who is my neighbor? He gives him this story, the story of the Good Samaritan. A lot of you guys may have heard of it. So Jesus makes it clear. Now I want you to remember this because a lot of people confuse who a neighbor is, right? A neighbor is anybody who we come in contact with. So Jesus makes clear in this story, your neighbor, our neighbor, is anybody we come in contact with. Strangers from other countries, like the Samaritan and the man, they are our neighbors. Our next door neighbors are our neighbors. People with different colored skin are our neighbors. Uh, and I just want to touch on racism real quick. I know we live in Detroit. It's not the same thing as the South. I just was living in Mississippi and Tennessee, so this is a real deal for a lot of people. Racism exists. It's not the same every place, everywhere, all the time, but it does exist. And I heard the story one time about these two girls playing, uh, playing in the park. And at some point after playing on the swings for a while, this one girl turned to the other one and said, hey, so uh, what should I call you? you? Do you want to be called African-American or is it more politically correct? Should I call you black? And the other girl looked at her and said, uh, I think I wish you would just call me Becky. Uh, you know, just call me Becky. But, uh, and I admit, I'm not sure what people mean uh, when they say that they're colorblind when it comes to people. I still see color. And honestly, I see a lot of culture, cultural differences between people from different backgrounds or countries, and I've been in different countries. Sometimes people who look different than I do have a different background. A lot of them have a rich and unique upbringing and I can learn from them just like I can learn from anybody else. Because of the way I grew up, I didn't grow up with a racist uh, family or any, you know, any kind of racism that, as far as I could tell. I know I'm, I've got a limited understanding of this. But I didn't grow up with any of this, so I feel free to celebrate differences. It doesn't bother me that people look different and act different and have different backgrounds. 
But to judge a heart based on how much melanin is in a person's skin is just wrong. And to treat them differently is just wrong. I pray that it's never said of Metro City Church that there's any kind of racism that, that lives here, where people judge people on just how, by how they look. One of Jesus' followers named, uh, a man named John, you guys have probably heard of John the disciple, not John the Baptist, although those two guys get mixed up all the time. I'm sure they're in heaven going, they did it again. They don't know who we are. Everyone's John. Anyway, so in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 through 21, it says this. If anyone says, I love God, and remember, the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. So remember that. This John was there when Jesus was telling this. So John writes later, John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot... Cannot, cannot, cannot. He cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, talking about Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now the term brother in this passage is not talking about a sibling, it's talking about a fellow Christian. John was writing to a Christian church where they had Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, people from all different backgrounds uh, at this point in time when John was writing this letter. So it was a multicultural church. And he's telling them, if you don't love the person standing next to you, you're a liar if you say you love God. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. You can't love God who you have not seen if you can't love your brother who you have seen. And that's the word of God. So, why can't you love God without loving your brother? Just gonna touch on this for a second. Why? John tells us that if we love God, God's love is in us. And that love extends to other Christians, to other believers. And if that love is missing, it's because God is missing. If God's love is not in you, the Bible says you don't have God. That's a warning. It's a, it's, a, it's a truth we need to accept. If God's love is in you and you say you love God, one way to test yourself is do you love your brother? Because if you don't, you ought to be scared. Scriptures say you ought to test, search out. So that takes care of question number one. Anybody we come in contact with is our neighbor. But you still have another question to answer in order for it to make sense. I think, I think that's why Jesus gave such a detailed story. This is why it's such a famous story. It's a parable with so many details in it. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? And this really is the greater question. I mean, this really is what Jesus is trying to drive at. This is, this is the heart of the matter. How do you love your neighbor as yourself? So let's look back at Jesus' words, starting at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, talking about the guy that was beaten up on the side of the road, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. In order to love our neighbors as ourselves, we must open our eyes and open our heart. We must keep our eyes and our heart open. The Samaritan wasn't responsible for every man that had ever been robbed. 
He was responsible for the one on his path. And when he saw him, he didn't turn away. He didn't walk on the other side of the street. He had compassion. Compassion is the ability to relate to the pain of another person, to feel what they feel, and to want to do something about it. Simply, it's what you feel when you want to help somebody who's hurting. Jesus wants us to desire good for our neighbor. Jesus wants us to love our neighbor. Now, we all love ourselves. I mean, this is a given. God doesn't command self-love, right? He just assumes it. And and what do I mean by that? Because I know some people feel like, I don't love myself. We all want to diminish pain, and we want to increase pleasure in our lives. All of us. Even people that commit suicide, the reason why they do it is because they want to diminish pain. They want relief. They want out of it. So no matter how much you've abused yourself, all of us have this natural tendency. We want to diminish pain, and we want to increase our own happiness. And this is what Jesus means by love your neighbor as yourself. He means that we should want to diminish our neighbor's pain and increase our neighbor's happiness, just as we want to diminish our pain and increase our own happiness. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, a non-Christian can have compassion. And if you're in the room, I know you get super upset when Christians talk like they've got every good thing on the whole planet monopolized. It is true that you can have compassion. You can love somebody else like you love yourself. You can care for them. Mothers do this all the time with their kids. People do it with friends, people you love about, people you care about, special relationships. You can have compassion on other people. But the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. In other words, you can love your neighbor as yourself. We we know from John, you can't love God if you don't love your neighbor, but you can love your neighbor as yourself without loving God. But here's the catch. What's the point of loving your neighbor if both you and your neighbor are not brought to the one true God and creator? What does it benefit you if you gain the whole world? You love your neighbors. You're so gentle. You're so kind. You're, you're a humanitarian. You help other people. What does it really benefit if you lived 100 years old and you were good for 100 years and you helped people for 100 years? But for eternity, you were separated from God in a place called hell. And the people that you helped, you never brought them to know the one true God. I know it's a hard pill to swallow, and I'm glad you're here. I'm not against you. But the Bible speaks to those of us who have doubted. It doesn't profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul. So yes, all of us can have compassion. But what is Jesus trying to get out? Because he's not trying to get non-believers, people that don't like him, to be compassionate. That's not his goal. The difference is a Christian is a person who has learned that a personal relationship with God is the ultimate source of happiness in life. A Christian is a person who hears the first commandment to love the Lord your God with everything that you are, and they know this is the only legitimate way to have true happiness. If I want to diminish my pain and increase my happiness, you know where I'm going to find it? I'm going to find it in Jesus, and he's the only one that can fill that void. 
There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. No one can bring us peace except for Jesus. And so they think about it differently. We think about it differently. The only complete and lasting way to diminish pain and increase happiness is in Jesus. And this is exactly what God did for us when he sent his son Jesus to save us. No one knows more about loving your neighbor as yourself more than God the Father when he chose to send his one and only innocent son to suffer and die for us. And I don't deserve it. And the Bible says none of us deserve it. So God knows what it means to love your neighbor. And for the Christian to love your neighbor as yourself, that means you bring them to the source of true happiness, which is only God. There is no other source of happiness. So love your neighbors by leading them. Leading them to love God with everything in them. The Good Samaritan story shows what this looks like. It makes the love of God visible to those around us. We seek to love others just like Jesus loves us so that they will learn to love Jesus just like we love Jesus. You can love your neighbor as yourself if you bring them to Jesus. But what do we do when we see pain and we don't feel anything? Well, I imagine we do the exact same thing that the priest and the Levite and the lawyer did. We make excuses. We pass on by. I mean, is there any alternative? You can't conjure up compassion. It is a choice, but you can't just create it. When you look around at other people who are hurting, what's your first initial reaction? Here's a, ta- here's a test for you to take that you could take right here, right now, by yourself. Nobody has to know the results of this test except you, unless you're sitting next to your spouse or your spouse's mother. Other than those two and you, you could take this test, no one's going to know, okay? Here's the test. What is your first or initial reaction, or what is the first or initial reaction you are more likely to have when you see a person in a rut or a gutter? Is your first reaction compassion or criticism? Are you quick to think, well, if they hadn't spent their money like that, dot, 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 if they, had gotten themselves, if they hadn't gotten themselves in that situation, or if, if they would just work a little harder, or if they would just fill in the blank. Now let me translate what's really happening in our hearts when we say that. This is what we're actually really thinking. If they were as smart and as good as I am, they wouldn't be in that situation. Is your first reaction criticism? I know sometimes mine is. I, I came up with a lot of these examples pretty quickly, not because I, because of how much I mess up. I, I, I sometimes lead directly to criticism. So what is your first reaction? Do you hurt when you see someone else hurt? But hear me on this, friends, and, and, and don't miss this. Most of the time, we don't know enough to care because we don't care enough to know. That's our problem. We don't care enough to know. 
We don't put the effort in, we don't try, we blind our eyes, we walk around with our phones like this all the time, whether it's with our family, outside, at a restaurant, wherever it is. We are so much not caring enough to know. We'll never know. Of course we'll never help anybody. Of course I won't. I'll never see somebody's pain if I'm looking down all the time. So we need to stop making excuses and going the other way. Jesus is demanding more of us. Jesus wants us to care for our neighbor. He wants us to pay attention. And when we see when someone's on our path, and you know what I mean by that, your neighbors, anybody that God puts in your path, and the Holy Spirit will help you know who that is, they're on your path. When you see them hurting, when you see them in the gutter, when you see them in the rut, don't pass on by. Don't ignore them. Don't avoid them. So number one, we've got to keep our eyes and our heart open. Number two, we must put our compassion to action. I hope you like how I worked very hard to make that rhyme. We must put our compassion to action. It's the only way I can remember it. Thank you. I got a fan out there. That's great. So let's read verses 34 through 35. The, talking about the Samaritan man, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. Remember, that's two days' wages. That could have been 300 and some dollars. I mean, that's a lot of money. And he took out that and he gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So I'm a list guy. I'm a very simple guy. Let's just start at the beginning. Let's look at Jesus' example of the Samaritan and let's just list what we see. How can we put our compassion to action? Well, how did this guy do it? Number one, go to the hurting. Go to the hurting. The Samaritan, it says that the Samaritan man went to him. The Samaritan man could have walked on by just like the rest of them. He saw him on his path and he took action. Our first step must be to go to the hurting. Remember, God doesn't expect us to help every hurting person. A lot of times that might be our heart, right? Some of you guys who are rational thinkers, right? You're just realist and you're like, this is ridiculous. I can't go to all the hurting. No one can possibly help everybody. Sometimes you hurt yourself when you help others. I get it, okay? Your neighbor is anyone that you come in contact with that God puts on your path. So yes, you do need to go to the hurting, Our natural tendency is to wait until somebody asks us for help. But that's not Jesus' way. At the same time, recognize, and I already said that, sorry. In order to love our neighbor, we must first go to them. So number one, go to the hurting. Number two, expect nothing back. Expect nothing in return from people. This guy saw a naked man lying in a ditch, almost dead. He wasn't planning on saving his receipts and getting reimbursed, right? There was no tax write-off for Samaritans. If he was going to get anything in return for helping this man in a ditch who was naked and half dead, it would have been a total surprise to him. Now, I say expect nothing in return from people, because I know some of you theologians out there kind of getting squirmy, because we should expect treasure from God when we follow him. That's good, And we should seek after the good things that God has for us. God does reward us for following him. 
God is always a separate category. There's nothing wrong with seeking his rewards, especially since his real reward is himself. So seek rewards, heavenly rewards. Seek God. But when it comes to people, low expectations. Just when you think about how can I put my compassion to action, when it comes to other human beings, God blesses. Low expectations. Don't expect much. Number three, give what it takes. It will cost you time, money, and energy, resources. It's going to cost you to care for others. There's no such thing as easy love. This guy bound up his wounds. It was messy. It was costly. He used his own stuff. Then he put the guy on his own animal, which means the Samaritan had to walk the rest of the way, which you may be a fan of walking, but not everybody is. This is a long journey. He puts him on his own animal. If you're going to do great things, it will cost you, but it is worth it all in the end. Giving up everything you have to God and doing things his way is greatness, and it's going to be all worth it. And number four, and this is a harder thing to kind of catch on in this story. Number four, ask for help. Notice that the Samaritan brought him to a hotel and had the hotel manager or innkeeper take care of him when he had to leave. See, Jesus doesn't explain why the man had to leave. He just says that he had to leave. But he didn't leave him on the side of the road either. It's not like once the Samaritan was like, "Uh, I I gotta be at this meeting. Um, You just sit right here and God bless you. And then he left. He didn't do that. He used his own money. He asked the hotel manager, the innkeeper, he asked him to take care of him. And this is where a church does together what one person cannot do on their own. And I'd also like to say two more things specifically about this. If you are dealing with an addict or an abuser, it is all too easy to become an enabler. There are some people that you can't help. When somebody is close to you that you love, it is far too easy to think that you're helping them when all you're really doing is keeping them from help. And that's not a knock on you, but you just need to know there are certain times when you can't help somebody and you've got to get help from somebody else to help them. Sometimes the best help for that person is through somebody else. And secondly, when you're dealing with an addict or an abuser, Jesus does not want you to become a codependent. I don't know if you even know what that is, but there are a lot of people living in the shadows of abuse. And they're living with someone in addiction or abuse, and they don't know what to do, and they have become a codependent. They don't know how to live outside of this mess. And Jesus doesn't want that for you. So please do not look, overlook what the Samaritan did and what Jesus may be trying to teach us. Sometimes you have to ask for help. Now, if either of those two sound personal to you, um, we have a ministry here called Renew. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, you guys can clap for Renew. Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Right here. Okay, now, wait, wait, no, listen, because you guys think I'm a dodo. Okay, listen, okay. Normally, they meet at 6 p.m. for the 12-step program, but that is closed off. It's a closed group now because we're so far in the year. They do one step a month. You can come at 7. You can come at 6. I'll be here. You can hang out with me. But you come at 7. It starts at 7, and it's right over here at the venue. 
if you deal with addictions or abuse or uh, you're an abuser, any, any which way it goes, please come. It's a great ministry. It helps people on the road to hope, uh, the road to recovery, the road to hope. So, so anyway, just had to throw that in there. So what does God consider as the greatest commandment in all the Bible? First, love him with everything that you are. Everything, all of it, the whole thing, love him. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Keep your eyes and your heart open. Be ready to feel and to see what's going on around you. Put your compassion to action. Go to the hurting. Expect nothing in return. Give what it takes. Give time, money. Give time, energy. Give resources. And ask for help. Love your neighbor as you would yourself. If we all determine to do this with our lives and we put our money where our mouth is, people would look at this church and they would see something great. And you know it. I know you know it. I know it. If we were to really do this, and if we were to decide, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to give what it takes, I'm going to do what it takes, and I'm going to make sure that the people that God puts in my way, I'm going to give as much care as I possibly can. And why would they see greatness? Because when you give the love of God, it changes people's lives. And that's great. When people come to know the one true God, that's what real greatness is. People need to see God's love in us. We need to share what God has done for us. Our story is only worth sharing if it includes Jesus' story. Jesus was a man who claimed to be God. And he lived 2,000 years ago. And he lived a sinless life. He never disobeyed God. He never rebelled. He never sinned. And he died on a cross. And he never uttered a word against the people, his, his enemies, taking him to trial. He, he never said a word against them so that he would die. And he didn't stay dead. He really did raise from the dead on the third day. And he proved to be who he said he was. And if you're here and you're thinking, I don't care, so what? I've heard this story a thousand times. Jesus dying on the cross means nothing to me 2,000 years ago. I know what you do care about. Because I was a sinner that didn't believe. Do you have peace? I mean real peace. Do you know what it's like to have happiness and joy in the midst of trial? To not have to fake a smile, to not have to pretend like it's all going to be okay because you have no idea if it's going to be okay? I know you hunger for peace because every soul hungers for peace. And the Jesus that we're talking about, he is the one. He is the prince of peace. He died to make your broken relationships with God and others and creation and drugs and money and sex. He died so that he would bring peace between you and him and you and others and you and creation and you and yourself. 
So you may think no big deal about this man, Jesus, but I'm telling you, it's a big deal. And he loves you. And he died for you. And if you would call on his name, he promises with open arms that he would receive you as his own. And he would forgive you of every wrong you've ever done. And not because you're good, and not because you become better, but because of how good he is. When you die and stand before God, you're going to be with him forever. So if you want peace with God, with yourself, with others, with creation, there's only one way to get it. Jesus said, we we do this verse with my son Samuel. Man, I love my kids. John 14, 6. And Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I pray that you come to know the one true Jesus. So let's pray. Father, I pray for for all of us here right now that you would, as your scripture says, that you would make our hearts like good soil, that we would receive your truth and it would bear fruit in our lives. I pray for those that are in here that are hurting, that have tried to take care of others, that are hurting themselves and others, that you would free them up, that they would not be enablers and codependents, that you would give them wisdom and and guide their life to greatness. And all of us in here, I pray that you would help us to love each other as we love ourselves. And most importantly, Lord, I ask that you would start something here in Down River, that you would change our community, that you would open the eyes and ears of our hearts, that we would know you and love you, and that we would turn to you away from our sin, away from ourselves, and we would know what it's like to receive greatness. I pray that your spirit would move. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.